Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the photography podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 175, and the Photog Adventures podcast continues. Yeah, we had a couple-week break there. I hope everyone was okay with that. As there was a Thanksgiving, I hope you also enjoyed a week off as I did. I was thankful to take it, and I know that it probably sounds like a whiny baby to say that I could use a week off, but you know, when you work on when you work as a business on your on your own, like you have your own business, there is a feeling that you have where you don't have a weekend, you just have every day, and you could potentially work for your business every day. And so there's part of you that is guilt-ridden on days that you don't work and days that you should be working or days that you should be doing more. And so sometimes when you just kind of play the world game, the game that the world plays of like, I have vacation time, even though I technically don't have any vacation time, it's nice to say, okay, I'm going to take a week off and I'm going to enjoy that week off. And so it felt good. It felt reinvigorating. I loved it. As well as last Monday was my last Monday, another episode missed because it's my son's birthday. I enjoyed his birthday party. Um, we were out at a really cool jump house, and at one point they went up to a secret area in this. It's not a jump house. What do you call it? It's like a jumping park, like a trampolines jump park kind of place with foam pits where you can dive off of big old acrobatic um, ropes and what do they call the trapeze artist thing is it just a trapeze like that um, hanging down bar so people would jump off of that swing off high points and land in the foam pit all sorts of fun so there's all sorts of upper areas lower areas and my boy 10 years old and his friends all went up to an upper area that felt like a secret base they went up there and they looked down like 30 feet down at everyone below them doing the tramps trampoline and it was just fun for them and I got them scared that there were such things as carpet sharks like there's a carpet shark they're like why is that first they come up to me and say why is that place up there say go at your own risk and I'm like well (laughs) the risk is carpet sharks they're like what what's a carpet shark? (laughs) So as a typical dad, I had fun making up some story about carpet sharks and that we're not really sure what they look like because anyone who's ever actually involved, been involved with the carpet shark has been eaten. And so no one's ever seen a carpet shark, but up in that area, things keep happening in that section of the uh, jump park. And so they had to put a sign up saying, Hey, enter at your own risk. (laughs) When really it was just because you climb up so high, you're up on this area that no one's watching you and can see you and none of the, you know, referees they have at the jump park that are kind of lifeguards for foam pits. They're all walking around looking at kids, making sure no one's getting hurt. But up there, there was no one to watch. So they had a enter at your own risk sign, which is perfect. It was perfect fodder for me to have fun with the kids. Carpet sharks became a real thing. At one point, one of the kids is like, carpet sharks aren't real, right? <laughs> I looked at him and said, yeah, they're not real. I'm just having fun. I hope you're having fun too. It's good to have an imagination, right? So that was a fun time with my boy, and we have all sorts of experiences that I won't share all of them right now just because it's kind of fun to talk about life and family stuff with you guys on the podcast. But that's not what you're here for. You saw that Jeroen Linenkamp is here on the episode, as well as talking about stars. So first things first, I just want to put it out there that 
I have workshops for 2023 and 2024 that are out there. I have 2023 workshop pages that are being created. I keep anticipating that I'll finish them and then I don't and their buttons are still not working. If you go to my website, in fact, you go to my website today, it's down. I got I just realized that I didn't have that payment go through for the month. I got to make sure that that payment goes through and the website's back up, but notwithstanding. The scenario of my workshops are all listed, all 2023 workshops from summer, summer, spring, summer, fall, and fall workshops fully listed out there with all the information of where you're going. However, the more info pages where you actually go and register for the workshops are not active quite yet as of this recording. And so go ahead and email me directly. Hey, Aaron, I wanted to get in on that Death Valley workshop before it sells out. Can I get into access to that? And then I'm like, yep, absolutely. Here's the information that you haven't seen yet. And I'll send an invoice to this Gmail account. Perfect. I'll send through PayPal. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone's good. So if you have any interest in workshops before they sell out, just contact me directly since my website is not helping you right now. But I want to uh, talk about the star colors that all of you have maybe started thinking about. So as you get into Milky Way photography, the first thing you always worry about is making sure that your exposure is correct. You're trying to see the Milky Way and that's your focus. It's like, okay, Aaron, I have a stationary camera. I'm not doing star tracking. What's the best way to get my Milky Way to show up? And I'll tell you, push your ISO. Push your ISO much higher than you would think. As you continue your adventure and journey through learning Milky Way photography, at some point, other things become more important. At first, it was just, I want to see the Milky Way. So then we think, all right, at that point in your journey, you start to pay more attention to some of the quality in your image from coma to star color. And just by virtue of stationary Milky Way photography, single image Milky Way photography on a high ISO, you're going to blow out the color on your histogram. Basically, you have exposed far enough in to get more of the detail, but the brighter magnitude stars are all getting blown out. And so you start to have basically images of just white stars and Milky Way. And that's what you end up with. I mean, most of my portfolio is full of just white stars and Milky Way. When you start thinking about how can I preserve the star color the best way is star trackers because now you can use a star tracker and then go as long as you want and you don't have to blow out the star color anymore because your iso is not so high the iso has a greater effect but that was more of just a theory a few weeks ago Jeroen Linenkamp, a Netherlands, a Nederlander, a guy from the Netherlands, he contacted me and was talking to me about star color. And he asked me, is there a point when you go beyond a certain shutter that the same negative issue occurs with star color that happens with higher ISO? Let me rephrase that question so you understand what I'm saying. He asked basically, we know that with high ISO, our star color gets blown out. With a star tracker, we go low ISO and it doesn't get blown out anymore. But he was curious, is there a point, a threshold, where a shutter can get up to on a star tracker that starts blowing out the star color as well? So then that question led to, and I don't know. I, you know, honestly, Arun, 
I haven't done it before longer than a few minutes and my star color is fine. This experience of star color brought up a great question and trial for Yarun to actually take on. But without further ado, I want to bring in Yarun Linen Comp here in a sec. I recorded this a few nights ago. And so here we go. I served a mission in the Netherlands for my church. I was a two-year, you know, Freiwilliger, or they say a volunteer. And I would help members of my church that were out there as well as answer questions for people who were curious. You probably know me as a Mormon missionary, you know, going around with my white shirt and tie and wearing a helmet and being all polite and like overly polite. Yeah, that's a Mormon missionary. It's fun. It's fun to be that for two years. The Dutch would always say, Moi helm, whore, moi helm. And uh, moi helm just means beautiful helmets because none of the Dutch would wear helmets on their bikes. And yet as missionaries, we're required to wear helmets as we go around on bikes on these totally flat surfaces in perfectly designated and partitioned off in the main traffic bike lane. We're just like no risk whatsoever. So kids would be like, "Moi helm whore, yunga." It was fun and also ridiculous, and we felt like idiots. But is as a uh, member of the church who served out there, I learned the Dutch language, and it was really fun to speak it with Jeroen. Some of this podcast, I, I I get excited about it as we're talking. So at one point, I started talking to him in Dutch. Forgive me, but I tell you what it's what I said basically. So enjoy this episode with Jeroen Linenkamp. His YouTube channel is Starscaper. He's just brand new YouTube channel. Go and subscribe to him. Say thank you for him. As well as his Instagram is Jeroen Lin, which is J E R. O-E-N-L-I-N. And that information, both of those will be down in the bottom of the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. If you want to join for a workshop, send me an email. I'd love to sign you up today. Could always use some extra Christmas money, and I'd love to get you set up before everything sells out. So have a good one. Enjoy Aaron King and Yarun, and I will see you next Monday. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. Today is going to be a special one as we're back into the swing of things doing the podcast. This is actually my first episode of this year and in a long time that I've had a guest. And so I bring on my first guest in a long time, Jeroen Linnenkamp. He's out there in the Netherlands. Jeroen, recently you and I worked together on a project. But Before we go into that star color project, I want to hear a little bit about you. Tell the audience who you are, what's your Instagram, what's your YouTube channel so that they can all say things. Thanks for you joining the podcast today and follow you. So, hey, man, welcome in. Hi, hi. Good uh, good morning for me. Good night for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're recording this great, at what? Great to be your first guest. I'm I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm stoked to have you, man. It's been fun talking to you on Instagram, and you're an astrophotographer that I obviously respect, love hanging around with. It's 1.14 in the morning here for me, and about 8.14 in the morning, or 9? 9.14 in the morning for nine, you, right? Nine, nine 9.14, but, but feels like way earlier for an astrophotographer. <laughs> <laughs> we live at night <laughs> fantastic so if everyone wants to come and follow you like i have on your instagram and your youtube channel quickly let's say that we'll do it a few times during the episode so that people can find it yeah yeah sure i'm uh, i'm on instagram at uh Jeroen lin and uh, i also uh, recently started a uh, youtube channel which is starscaper yes. So yeah, I'm uh, trying to share my astro adventures in the light polluted Netherlands, basically there. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, that is the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, I'm a yeah. guy who woke up one morning and decided, you know what, I'm going to sell oranges. And I walked outside and I found out, oh, I live in the land of orange fields and orange groves. It's like, wow, there's so many here, I can sell oranges easily. That's what it feels like as a guy living in Utah who decided to do Milky Way photography. So what's it like for a 
a guy living in the Netherlands who woke up one day. He's like, I'm going to do Milky Way photography, and I can't see the Milky Way, and I barely see most of the stars. What's it? What, what happened? How did you get into it? <laughs> Excellent question. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you uh, start up uh, lightpollutionmap.info, you scroll to Europe and you see that big white ball, then you know, then you're in the Netherlands. <laughs> Is so, it yeah, really yeah. one of the brighter ones of this whole region? Do you find yourself yeah. with less options in the Netherlands than anywhere else? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But Ugh. still, you know, as a small kid, I was always interested in uh, science fiction series, stars, you know, the whole mystery of it. And I had a little telescope and I really wanted to do some photography back then. But yeah, you know, the technology wasn't there and my knowledge wasn't there. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of forgot about it for about 10 years. So then I... Uh, yeah, I went really into landscape photography and suddenly I thought, huh, I might uh, try photographing the, yeah, the stars again. So I just tried and I looked up uh, various people in the Netherlands who were also doing the same thing. And yeah, that was about three years ago. <laughs> so who are tried, some of the yeah. names that have done it in the Netherlands that maybe we should know? Oh, multiple people. Um, there you have Corné Auerhand. He is one of the largest uh, night photographers there. Uh, Martijn Jacobs I'm also photographing with a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm probably forgetting a bunch. But <laughs> Oh, sure. Of course, on the spot questions like this, especially names, it's impossible to answer correctly. So that's awesome. Now we can put some people <laughs> on our list. Have you already following them on Instagram? So once I follow you and look at who you're following, I can probably find their Instagram easily, right? Definitely. Sweet. Okay, so now I'm thinking. Now, just for those of you in the audience who aren't familiar, I have a connection to the Netherlands. I used to live there. As for my church, I served a mission there. So my church sent me out there for two years, Netherlands and Belgia, Belgium. And I have had fun a little bit today speaking some Dutch with Jeroen and just remembering. Like when he said Martijn, I was like, oh, man, it's like the way you accent the words, the better. Like as I'm watching people try and pronounce um the uh, Bruyne, the Bruyne, the Bruyne, the Bruyne, the Bruyne, when he's yeah, out there in the World good. Cup playing for Belgia. It's like, ah, I got to get it right. I got to say it right. Because one of the things we make fun of as missionaries, we come there. It's like they could tell you're an American missionary when you come in and say, Ik ben blij om hier te zijn. And you would say it very Americanized. So now say that same sentence in a proper Amersfoort accent. Yeah, Ik ben blij om hier te zijn. Om hier te zijn. Yeah. Oh, it's good. I, almost I, the same. Almost the same. <laughs> yeah, neat. 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 I wanted just to jump into some Dutch. When I was out in the Faroe Islands with with uh, Kathy and, and and Katie, we were sitting there, and I hear some people speaking a language that's all of a sudden what was kind of a chaotic consonants and vowels that you sort of got used to ignoring because you'd hear Faroes in the Faroese in the background or French or whatever, and you yeah. just hear a different language than English. You just kind of white noise. Well, this one was coming through and just kind of sticking in my heart. I'm like, wait a sec, wait a sec. I think those are words I understand. And I'm listening, listening. I'm like, oh, they're Dutch. And so as they're starting to walk my way, I'm thinking, okay, Aaron, um, what are you going to say? Are you going to say, hey, waar komen jullie vandaan? You know, like, how do I say it in a way that sounds like, hey, I'm obviously able to understand you, but... If I say, waar komen jullie vandaan? Like, Nederlands. It's like, yeah, dat weet ik, dat weet ik. Maar waar in Nederland komen jullie vandaan? Welke stad? And I'm like, how do I say that correctly? Do you say, which city are you from? And I couldn't quite get the right 
question in my head. So when it came down to it, I was like, Oi, yogas. <laughs> I just like didn't say anything really clever by the time they showed up. And I asked the question, got them talking, and uh, Kathy commented that I was just glowing. I was like, afterwards, I was so happy. It was like I hit on a hot girl and she talked to me. That's what I felt like, that they came through. <laughs> I talked to them and it worked. And we all started talking for about 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So I just love it. I love the Netherlands. I've lived there for three years in my life total. Uh, just absolutely adore the people, despite the fact that they're the hardest people to look in the eyes because they're about six foot tall and plus, and I'm five foot five. And so I'm always looking up and straining my neck, but I love the Dutch people. So I'm familiar <laughs> enough with the area, Jeroen, and I'm thinking... Amersfoort. I mean, talk about, you just mentioned that the entire land of the Netherlands is just light polluted as ever. So when you tried for your very first time to go out, let's say even just on one of your astronomy tours of just trying to see the telescope, what's the go-to location in the Netherlands that you go to get away from it all? Yeah, fortunately, we do have some small patches of yeah, semi-dark skies. I mean, if we're talking Bortle 4, Bortle 5, it's quite dark for us. But uh, we have the Velu, which is a kind of nature re reserve, which is uh, very close to Amersfoort. Um, so, yeah, it gets mm, quite dark there. Uh, at least I can photograph the Milky Way there. And, of course, also now uh, when the Milky Way is uh, setting in the west, we uh, have the whole sea. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we can just photograph over sea, which is pretty dark, of course. So. I've seen yeah. one of your images. Everyone right now, if you haven't gone to Yeroen Lin on Instagram, just, just pause the podcast, type in J-E-R-O-E-N-L-I-N, and you'll find Yeroen Lin, and you'll find Yeroen Lin and Comp, and check out his picture of the Milky Way core over a windmill, a classic Dutch windfield, windmill. Now, this is a little bit more modern looking too, but it's a fantastic looking site of classic landmark and... Milky Way. How hard is it to capture something like that? Did you have to do any work to get rid of light pollution or was that area significantly dark enough to make it work? Yeah, it's actually pretty difficult to find a good windmill in a dark location because most of the windmills are uh, yeah, somewhere around cities. You know, we have a uh, very uh, urban area called the Randstad. <laughs> and <laughs> basically it's around Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, and there are a lot of windmills, but there's also massive light pollution. But right. uh, after doing some research, we found a windmill um, uh, which was pretty good uh, looking to the east. And yeah, pretty good means, of course, you always have to delete some light pollution so if okay. i'm photographing i'm uh, yeah always working on a tracker i'm always making a tracked stack of the sky so that i can pull out yeah a whole of a lot of details uh, from the milky way just uh, stretch the heck out of the image you know <laughs> <laughs> but when still 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 beautiful i mean we were looking over um, yeah the isomere Oh, uh, area and so you have about 20 kilometers before the next city and uh, yeah it was pretty good yeah, if you guys aren't familiar with the Dutch shape of the land in the Netherlands, they have this inland of this in this, this sea of water that comes through from the North Sea that make what used to be, I guess, which where the polder is now and the Isselmere, but the, it was the what was the name? Yeah, it was the Zuiderzee. Yeah. yeah, that's right, the Zuiderzee. So that whole section is where they've reclaimed land famously with the polder. I mean, they've reclaimed land all throughout the coastline, like almost. You just mentioned Harlem and that area, all of that stuff, all that area that Chabit. I'm thinking in Dutch now. All of that area is area that has 
patches where they've reclaimed the land and brought yeah. water back. But the polder is famously an entire stretch, an entire, I suppose it's technically an island because it's completely isolated except for bridges, right? It's not yeah, landlocked yeah. on any side. It's an island, the polder. And north of that is this water area, basically a safe harbor of water that with that stretch of water, you get a dark enough sky before the next city and you could see that sky so clear in that picture. I love it. Okay, yeah, thanks, cool. Man. <laughs> so when I'm thinking about the Netherlands, I traveled everywhere on a train. Does that make photography impossible for you? Because you go by train, then you have to walk or bike, or are you always driving in a car? I'm always driving in a car because the spots we uh, yeah try to um, try to get to to photograph is mostly not miles next to a train miles, station. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, basically I'm just jumping in my car, parking in the middle of nowhere, and then uh, walking uh, as little as possible, but sometimes a little bit more uh, <laughs> to get to a dark, dark spot. Yeah. <laughs> when you leave in an area like the Netherlands, you've got two hours, and you can go to every edge of the land possible. So, is do you yes. feel like it's easy to get around, or is there a challenge that I'm not thinking of? Uh, it is not too difficult, actually. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's mostly two hours driving max. And uh, basically, I am there uh, within an hour. Um, yeah, so it isn't that difficult. But, you know, the Dutch perception of uh, traveling far is about if you drive uh, for longer than an hour, it is far, <laughs> you know. And I think in America, that's yeah. <laughs> that's all of a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered that with Alan Wallace when he came in this year and he was hanging out with me and we were driving around Oregon. We were talking about places that we can hit up and I'm like, yeah, we'll just drive down to that spot. He's like, are you sure? That's that's hours away. I'm like, oh, it's only nine hours. It's easy. Yeah. He's like, nine hours. Are you crazy? He's like, the <laughs> idea for him of like a long drive is two to four, maybe not even yeah, four. Same here. And I'm talking about nine hours. <laughs> like, well, that's half the time of normal my, my normal drive. So that's fantastic. I don't have to go 16 hours straight. And so he was amazed at my endurance for driving, and he was quite <laughs> miserable in a lot of it. So then now I'm picturing the process of Rune going out and finding a cool spot like this windmill and thinking about the project that we recently just did, just to give you a little bit more setup, everyone, because I believe I talked about it before the ad, but I'm recording this out of order. I'm imagining that when I wake up in the morning and finish off this podcast that I talked about it before the ad, so I hope that what I'm saying is true. Aaron, make a mental note. Make sure you say a little bit about this, but just to summarize it shortly, briefly, is that that Jeroen and I were talking about star color and like keeping and maintaining star color. And I can't remember exactly, Jeroen, what exactly got us going on it, but either you or I, it was pretty sure it was you first, posed the question, if you have a long shutter, does the same negative effect like the ISO, a higher ISO that washes out color, does the same problem happen when you have a too long of a shutter? And that was an answer I didn't really have because the whole process of shutter going longer was making colors more vibrant. I didn't know if there was a point where you got diminishing returns on it or if stars themselves being a light point of light, were they, after so much time of being long, long, long shutter, were they going to start losing their color where, you know, how I higher ISO does the same thing to it at like 8,000 ISO. So he was asking that question. We were talking about it together. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go test it. I'm going to go test it and see what it's like with like six minutes. And I think we both decided that six minutes was beyond what most people Star Trek, let alone does it not maintain its 
alignment, but it also is something that hardly ever do we get up to six minutes for our exposures unless you're doing deep sky. And so you decided to go out and do the test and you told me, you're like, well, next time in the Netherlands, it's actually not cloudy. I'll try. And I thought, oh, this could be months. <laughs> this could be a while. Yeah, it before. was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's right. I was riding a scooter. I remember talking to you on Instagram and I was riding a scooter in the warm sun. So it's right. It was months. <laughs> so give us a rundown of the test you took, where you went to do it, the test parameters that you put on yourself. And since I talked about a Milky Way Wednesday, I won't talk about the results. I want to hear your side of the results. So just go ahead and Take us through it, Jeroen. Yeah, so basically, uh, yeah, um, I was wondering uh, how long the shutter could be open or um, mainly how far could you expose to the right in your histogram to remain star color, you know? And yeah. so I went to the Dutch coast. Uh, I think it was about uh, three weeks ago uh, with someone who was also photographing the Milky Way for the first time. So we had a oh, bunch cool. of fun. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. uh, after our uh, shoot, uh, you know, I was a bit concentrating on him getting uh, his first Milky Way shot. I thought, Perfect. oh, yeah, Aaron King. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were there for an extra half hour. Uh, on the uh, windy Dutch coast, uh, but oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, set up by, uh, <laughs> nah, no problem, no problem. Uh, we uh, got uh, another half hour to enjoy the night sky, which is always good. Yeah, so <laughs> I I basically um, tried a, a uh, what we both call the Royce Bear histogram, which I always thought uh, uh, if you get the peak at about one third of your histogram, you should be good. You have enough detail in the Milky Way, and you also uh, won't blow out the stars. That's basically how I normally shoot. So there was around, I think, 155 seconds at F4 ISO 800. And after that, I uh, thought, okay, how far could we go to the right? So I uh, did a six-minute exposure. Awesome. Uh, same same settings, F4, ISO 800. And uh, yeah, back home at the computer, I uh, yeah checked how many star colors uh, remained or um, I was able to get back in. Because if, I, yeah, if you look to the raw files, uh, the stars are mostly white. But if you extract the stars uh, via uh, a sort of uh, StarNet software, uh, you know, star masking software, and you just increase the saturation a bit. Uh, yeah, almost all saturation, uh, all color of the stars. I was able to pull back also with the six minute shot, and it was, uh, yeah, really exposed to the right. So, yeah, it is possible. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. When you think about histogram, everybody, and you're thinking about having data, you hear the phrase sometimes like, oh, I've got the data. Oh, you've clipped the data. You've clipped it. So when you have mm -hmm. a situation with a star and you've blown out the color because you clipped it there, it doesn't matter how much post-processing you do. You're not going to bring that color back because the data is just gone. It's bleached white, and for with the lack of a better way of putting it. And so in this situation where he could see that they were white in the raws, but because he'd never clipped it he didn't blow them out in the processing he was able to bring back the color they weren't just white dots there were dozens well i would say multiple colors as you look at the star color chart yeah. that uh, roger clark provides he reminds us that we have these variants of blue white variants of red and orange as well as yellow and that's about it. It's not like we have green stars or any other stars that we take note of. Somewhere in the universe is probably a green star now that I said that, but we'll find out <laughs> if that's ever true. Currently, we know this variety of yellow, blue, red, white, uh, and white, yeah. So we're looking at these stars, and you've got in your raw file, or at least the images that you sent me that had just the stars isolated from, what'd you call the program, StarNet? 
Yeah, Starnet. Yeah. Starnet. I have never used that. I'm curious about it. Is that a software that is a plug-in right into Photoshop or a separate program altogether? Uh, you have it as a plug-in for PixInsight, uh, but you also ah. have a uh, standalone software. In this case, I use the standalone software. Okay, so do you need to provide it with a RAW, or do you have to do something to it first before you work? Yeah, it? I think it only takes TIFF files, but that's basically a RAW. So you just put in the TIFF, and it uh, yeah goes on with its algorithm, and it uh, spits out a starless version. And in Photoshop, you then um, blend it with a difference, uh, the both layers, and you end up with also a stars-only version if you okay. blend it with your original. Do you export your TIFF before you do anything to the file, or do you go through a few steps before you export the TIFF and then bring it into StarNet? Yeah, I don't do much editing because I don't want to blow out the star color, of, uh, of course, but I do some okay. uh, basic color balancing, you know, just a little bit of contrast, and after that I stack my result, and the stacked result I uh, export to TIFF and put it in StarNet, and then I uh, edit the Milky Way, the starless version, uh, entirely separately because, yeah, you have to stretch a lot, as I said, uh, to get any detail out of the Milky Way in Bortle 4. <laughs> and uh, after that is done, I just put back the uh, stars and I uh, increase some saturation of the stars uh, just so, so they look right. And, yeah. Nice. So when yeah. you think about the whole test in, in its entirety and what it means for you, how does this inform the way that you're going to treat your exposures in the future? I'm definitely going to expose more to the right uh, than than before because I also noticed that uh, if you expose more to the right, you get a lot more Milky Way dust detail, and mm -hmm. I really love that. So uh, yeah, and if I can uh, retain most of the star color, I'm definitely going to explore uh, expose more to the middle than before. Yeah, right on. So then I'm also thinking about your Bortel Four. I mean, that's just something me as a spoiled brat. In south, you know, in southern Utah, <laughs> like going to Bortle Four is like saying the full moon is out. I'm not going to take pictures. It's like no, no, no. <laughs> Bortle Four is a proper dark sky. So then, when you're working with it, what do you do to handle that light pollution? Is there anything that me, as a spoiled brat southern Utah guy, uh, doesn't realize that you should do with your settings to handle a Bortle Four? Good question. Um, I don't know because I've never been to Bortle 2, <laughs> so I've been able to uh, to uh, test it. This is it. the best I've ever known. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but ba basically, yeah, of uh, what we normally do is uh, we use a star tracker uh, and to get as much detail out of the sky as possible, you have to expose maybe a bit more to the right than uh, you have to uh, from Utah mm. uh, to get more Milky Way detail. And I think especially the post-processing makes a lot of difference. You know, uh, you have to really uh, get specialized in, in uh, stretching your data. And fortunately, I was uh, yeah, a bit experienced in that because I also did some deep sky photography where uh, yeah, stretching your data is, of course, a very big part of uh, <laughs> getting some uh, result. But I noticed that you have to do that with the Milky Way also if you want to get any detail. Yeah, that is absolute truth. And it sounds like there's nothing really crazy to think about. But the reason why I asked that is I didn't want to lead the witness because now I'm going to start doing a cross-examination. You keep saying that you're capturing at F4. Yeah. What is the reason that you're capturing so stop down? 
Uh, basically, um, if I, uh, I I have a 2.8 lens, and if I shoot at 2.8, I just think my stars don't look good enough at the corners. Ah, coma <laughs> so aberration. So I get coma, yeah, yeah, coma aberration, stigmatism, those those kind of things. It's not really bad. I see. But since I am shooting from a star tracker anyway, I can make my exposure two, three times as long as I shoot with uh, f2.8. So it's just better star performance. <laughs> okay. Is there a lens out there that you're dreaming of? Oh yeah, I think I'm dreaming of the 24 millimeters uh, Sony lens, which uh, and Wallace also uses, and I think a lot of uh, Sony astrophotographers. But uh, I'm uh, shooting Canon at the moment, mostly. So <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I feel that. Oh, okay. So have you tried or considered an astro modified camera? <clears throat> yes, I am actually shooting with an astro modified camera. Oh. I'm uh, shooting with the uh, Canon 6D, and it was uh, astro modified. So. The images that you sent me, were those on an Astro Modified camera already? Yes, yes they ah, were, yeah. I wasn't even aware of it. Even on the RAWs, they didn't seem to have much of a magenta to them. Was that something, something that I just completely overlooked, or did you auto you balance out the colors? Yeah, I, I did balance out the colors a bit, yeah. yeah. So Is that I, something I think you my did? raw files look a bit uh, red-orangey, but I also use a custom white balance, which I've uh, uh, created okay. myself using a gray card. Perfect, because that's a question that came up a lot when we were talking to Clarence Spencer of spencerscameras.com, talking yeah. about the Astro modification that you can get. The specific one that you have on your Canon 6D, um, which one is it? Uh, I think um, yeah, it's it's done at a Dutch firm, um, but it's the uh, H-Alpha Plus Visible. H-Alpha Visible. Yeah. Okay, cool. Ha, Visible. Okay, perfect. So then that came up a lot, and you said you get your custom white balance before you capture using a gray card. And Do you find that process fairly simple and you trust it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, you just make a picture in daylight of a uh, yeah, gray card, which you can buy for a couple of euros on uh, Amazon, for example, and uh, you use that as a custom white balance. But I've also noticed uh, a mate who also uses a um, uh, Astro modified camera, uh, Cornet, he just uh, shoots at auto white balance and our end results uh, yeah, are kind of the same, you know, <laughs> after, <laughs> after, after post-processing. Yeah, I but I think it's just nice to have some consistency in your results when using that camera. Uh, custom white balance so you know they always look the same on the back of the screen when shooting so you know when it's good when it's not good you know yeah exactly cool i love hearing that i know the question just seems almost perfunctory to ask because it's like why ask aaron because you know the answer because i want everyone to know that every person that asked that question a thousand times during the live stream and got the answer back from clarence and got the answer from other people in the live stream who were chatting in the chat it's just so easy. It really isn't that big of a concern. I mean, Jeroen just pointed out how he just took a picture of a gray card that he bought for a couple of euros. You know, that's nothing. And so yeah. don't worry about that part, everybody. If you're considering getting into the Astro Modified camera, which I completely recommend, and if you're not in the Netherlands for that Dutch company, you should go through spencerscameras.com. That is going to change your beautiful sky so much. And the learning curve is practically nil with just nothing to worry about except for when you're capturing. How much magenta do you want to see in the back of your screen? Do you want to change it in post? Or do you want to take a picture of a gray card and see it more natural to your eyes? I mean, it's so simple. Nothing to fret about. Okay, so then, Jeroen. It is so It's just so cool to hear you talk with a Dutch accent. I'm just so freaking happy. I love it. I'm glowing again, Kathy, because this is a Dutch man, and I have some Dutch friends here that I haven't gone and visited, and it's just like, 
my heart aches. I'm like, oh, man, I should go visit the Heinrichs. They're the ones that named me Elder King Size because my name on the mission was Elder King, <laughs> Elder King. And they're like, a king, like a candy bar is a bigger one, but you're a smaller elder, so you're Elder King Size. <laughs> and you know what? That kind of ribbing just shows that they love me, and they've loved me ever since, except for that one time I went to Oppeldorn and didn't say hi to them because I couldn't find their house. I... I couldn't remember the street. I was walking around with my wife at the time, and I'm like, I just can't find it. I remember it's somewhere in this area, but you know the Dutch row houses, how they look identical. And I'm like, crap, uh-huh. I know I'm in the right place. I could start knocking and be like, pardon, mevrouw, is it mogelijk dat je ken familie Heinrich? You know, and it's like, Heinrich is not a very uncommon name in the Netherlands. And so it's like, Heinrichs, Heinrichs, familie, familie, Heinrichs, misschien, misschien weet je, ken je dan? Oh, nee, 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 ken hem niet, ken hem niet. Geen belangstelling, hoor, that's what they would say to me. It's like, as soon as they're asking a question with an American accent, they'd be like, oh, dude, this guy's selling something. Geen belangstelling, hoor, geen belangstelling. And, you know, the whore thing is something that the Dutch say, like, hey, can you pass that, please? Oh, mag ik de groente, nee? Oh, is goed, goed, hoor. They say, you know, whore as in Canadians say a, or we say, you know, just like, hmm. It's just like a nothing sound. And, you know, in the American tongue, whore is just like a terrible, terrible word. And so when I heard a member of the church say, mevrouw, you know, to his wife, mag ik de groenten, whore? It's like, he just said, get me the vegetables, whore. And it was so funny to my 19-year-old brain. I was like giggling on the inside, even <laughs> though I knew that H-O-O-R had nothing to do with the W-H-O-R-E of my language. But it was just still so funny. Mag ik de groenten, whore? <laughs> oh, I love Sorry? it. What did you just say? <laughs> well, why are you so mad at your wife, dude? So that's just fun inside stuff about Dutch thing that I'm just glowing about right now. So back to a focus topic, you know, Aaron's squirrel that he just chased, a Dutch squirrel just now. Um, that area that you talked about going, is there, like, if I was in the Netherlands or even in a nearby area of Europe, and I'm just getting into Milky Way photography, what's your advice on A, how to find a location that is dark, and B, how do you trust that it's worth the drive to go out there? What do you do in your research for finding locations, man? Yeah, m- m- multiple stuff, actually. Uh, of, of course, I do a lot of research on the light pollution map, uh, just to zoom in really close and see uh, yeah, um, which direction I am shooting at. Uh, uh, is it yeah, dark enough? And of course, uh, I'll do a check on the weather uh, using various weather models because uh, if you live in the Netherlands, you know that the clouds are always present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they move quite, quite quickly over the land. Yeah, and, of, and, 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 and we do have a lot of nature, or a lot, we do have some nature reserves also, which are pretty dark, but uh, after sunset, you are not allowed to be there at a lot of places. Oh my gosh. So that's, that is also that. Um, yeah, a pretty good to know beforehand before you go somewhere, of course. Oh, man. So you're telling me that if you go out, you said like in the nature areas, you would get kicked out or you shouldn't be there. You're not allowed to be there after dark. Yeah, 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 that's exactly the case. So yeah, there are, of course, always some places you can go to besides roads uh, or uh, we are allowed uh, to be at the at the beach at night as long as you don't sleep, if I recall correctly. So we have to stay okay. really awake. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, uh, but, but uh, although, yeah, otherwise we have a lot of header fields, for example, which are beautiful for Milky Way photography, I think. It's also typical Dutch. Uh, but mm. yeah, at night you really shouldn't supposed to be there. So it's always a bit mm. of edgy if I... 
decide to still do it you know uh yeah stay <laughs> at a, a biking path or something and but you really have to pay attention and yeah just respect nature uh yeah a, of course a, a bit more <laughs> yep that's always good it's the best way to treat it so if you were a brand new dutch milky way photographer out there and you happen to find this because you're looking at podcasts from aaron king and you actually saw a Dutch name, Jeroen Linnenkamp, that's Dutch, and you listen to this episode, you're like, this is my first episode ever listening, this is awesome. Where would you tell them to go, Jeroen? Where would you say, hey, these are the top three places in the Netherlands you got to try? Unless it's a total secret and you want it to yourself, I understand. Kind yeah, no, 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 I'm uh, I'm, I'm always into sharing. Um, yes, yeah, Basically, you. you do want to go a bit more north to the Netherlands, especially if you are photographing the Milky Way core. Uh, the more north you go, the darker the skies get. And if you have the chance to go to the islands, uh, that's about as dark as it gets in the Netherlands. There's even some uh, small Bortle three patches there. I've actually never photographed from them myself, but it's still on my mm. uh, wish list. So you should definitely go up north or to the islands, I think. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Okay, so before we let you go, I want to hear a story. Photog Adventures is about the adventures of going out on photography. So when I'm thinking about a cool story to share, it's like my favorite one. If you're sitting there at a campfire trying to stay awake on the beach of the Netherlands because you don't want to get you know break the rule, you're like, oh, slap lecker. Nay, nay, nay. Geen slap. Don't sleep, don't sleep. <laughs> um, what story is your favorite one to share at a campfire? Yeah, I have multiple good stories because at <laughs> at night there uh, happen uh, various uh, interesting things sometimes, uh, as you probably oh. also notice. <laughs> okay, interesting. Uh, but there start. was the one time. Uh, there was the one time uh, I was um, <laughs> photographing uh, somewhere at a header field, and I had to walk through a uh, yeah pretty dark forest. And you know, a dark forest. I was on my own, so uh, yeah, you hear <laughs> things, but you uh -huh. don't see it. And uh, I was scared. Uh, yeah, shitting my <laughs> yep. pants actually. <laughs> and then. Suddenly, you know, of course, you have flashlights. I was boom face to face with a wild boar. And if you really ever saw a white wild boar, those things are can be massive. Oh, <laughs> did it have also the be tusks and everything? The teeth, the big yeah, old yeah. tusks. Oh, they're very dangerous. They're one of the yeah. more like crazy animals out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's not a dinosaur or something, but uh, <laughs> it's still pretty <laughs> impressive if you are suddenly face to face with uh, such how, a thing, how, you know. How did you get away? What happened? Uh, trying to remain really calm and uh, yeah after about 10 seconds I noticed he just looked at me and thought what the heck are you doing here so <laughs> I'm just going to eat you know so he yeah walked through the path uh, uh, from the path and I just passed him very silently and he yeah remained doing his thing fortunately <laughs> so I could uh, remain doing my thing <laughs> but Not yeah that uh, was a pretty scary uh, scary one uh, <laughs> at the moment <laughs> so we said you're going to a header field what's that um, you know, header, I think it's an English word. Uh, uh, Probably you know, the, is, the but what, purple, how do you describe purple it? Purple header. Um, yeah, yeah, we have. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So it's just the basically plant, uh, very flat, flat fields uh, because in the Netherlands, it, it is mostly flat. We don't have any hills. If it is about 50 meters, we call it a mountain. Uh, <laughs> like the berg that's over by Appeldoorn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about uh, one of the highest points here in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, but the head, hilarious. yeah, the header fields. Those are just, um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, flat fields of uh, yeah, beautiful purple header around the around the summer, which makes a good awesome. subject also to photograph uh, the Milky Way from. We also often get um, uh, some ground mist, you know, some fog there. So it's uh, yeah, very mysterious looking sometimes. <laughs> How did that night turn out? How'd your image come out? 
Yeah, it uh, came out pretty well, actually, fortunately. So, uh, yeah, there was actually uh, somewhere around the Radio Kotwijk, perhaps you know it. That's an old um, transmission station, uh, a sort of Art Deco building, which is built uh, on the middle, uh, in the middle of the header field. So uh, it just pops up and uh, yeah, we did uh, communication with the East Indies uh, from there. So it also has a good history. And I made a, uh, a Milky Way winter arch over the building. So... Yeah, it turned out pretty well. I I did some um, tracking stacking, so I think I had about twelve vertical panels, all with uh, five uh, five stacked images. So it took about one and a half hour to photograph, but yeah, I was really happy with it. <laughs> That's the thing about tracking, stacking, and long exposures. Man, it took an hour, an yeah. hour and a half for yeah, one did, composition. It did it all. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So thinking about your other photography adventures, is there like? Your favorite image of all time. Can you take us through capturing what's turned out to be your favorite so far? Oh, I have a lot of favorites. Um, but <laughs> first thing that comes to mind was the first time I went to uh, France for a dedicated uh, astrophotography trip. Ooh, France. Yeah, so I went there with a, a buddy uh, yeah, after doing a lot of research. Um, and, you know, actually, the skies don't really get dark enough uh, to get full astro darkness around uh, June and July in the Netherlands because it's too far north. Oh, so right. I thought, yeah, I hate this as an astrophotographer. So <laughs> let's look more to the south. So we found an area in France where uh, astro darkness was actually uh, there for about an hour, uh, somewhere in the end of the summer. And that was the first time I uh, saw Bortle 3 sky. So I was like, ah, oh, shit, it is cloudy. And then, wait a minute, those... those I know those clouds. So I was actually seeing the Milky Way with my own eyes for the first time. That's <laughs> yeah, so funny. Uh, when but you we, see it um, like that. <laughs> yeah, we uh, went to a, um, a uh, yeah, an, an, an abandoned bridge, I think it was. Uh, cool. And it was built somewhere uh, as a part of the Maginot Lini, it is called, a sort of defense line made by the Germans uh, during, uh, I think, even before World War II. And, uh, yeah, we just stood there at the abandoned bridge in the middle of nowhere. The bridge wasn't going anywhere. You know, it was just forest uh, on the one end and forest on the other end. Uh, we had to really be careful because there were also uh, holes in the bridge uh, so we wouldn't fall down, etc. But, yeah, when we were up there and just looking into those Bortle 3 skies, you know, <laughs> tired as heck because we just drove there for eight hours. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We went scouting for six hours and then we still had to shoot for a couple of hours, you know. But, oh, yeah. Man, yeah, if you just see, yeah... At the back of the screen, uh, what the Milky Way looks like from a Bortle 3. And if you have never shot uh, anything yeah, darker than Bortle 4, I was just amazed. You know, I was just jumping around and, wow, look at this. This is insane. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, so we had a great night there. That moment right there is what I love about teaching workshops. You mentioned how yeah. when you went out for the star color test, you had a buddy who was there for his first time with the Milky Way. Did he have that reaction seeing that in the back of his camera? Um, yes, plus a bit more. He actually oh. also made a, made a vlog of it himself, and there are a lot of bleeps there because he was <laughs> so enthusiastic seeing the Milky Way for the first time on the back of the screen. So <laughs> <laughs> he's recording a vlog and he's just covering it and lacing yeah. it with profanity. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, really great to see. You know, that makes it all worth it. I mean, if uh, people photograph this, yeah, the Milky Way for the first time, and it's actually not that difficult as people think. You know, just right, yeah. 
start with a wide angle, uh, open up your aperture, ISO 3200 or something, 15 seconds, and boom, you have it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and they're like it's... totally blown away. <laughs> wow, look at this. I never thought that was possible from the <laughs> Netherlands. And wow, wow, wow. Oh, man, so many things in life are a skill that you have to learn where it's kind of like a timing drill where like a ball's going from the right to left. You're like waiting for it to be perfectly in the middle and hit stop. You're like, okay, practice, 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 stop. I missed it, stop, I missed it, stop, I missed it. That's a lot of skills in this in this life. But when it comes to the Milky Way skills, there is no like perfect timing that you have to have muscle memory for. It's just literally do two things like an easy pancake recipe. And then if, as long as you just do those two things and you put in eggs instead of putting in rocks, it's going to turn out into being a pancake. It's going to be a Milky Way. And you just have your <laughs> shutter of anything, at least over five seconds, and you have your ISO up and you have a wide angle lens, you're going to see the Milky Way and people just can't believe it. It's just like a tiny, tiny little amount of effort and all of a sudden you see something that was literally invisible to your eye a second ago yeah. and it's just uh, it's, it's just amazing so your channel is starscaper right on the youtube yeah it is yeah okay so when did you decide to create your own youtube channel starscaper Actually, when I noticed uh, I was done binging all the other uh, wide-angle landscape photography channels because <laughs> I really love uh, watching YouTube, you know, uh, uh, watching passionate people uh, yeah, doing their thing, which I also like. Uh, for example, uh, you all uh, every week doing the Milky Way Wednesday. I really love to watch oh, it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and yeah, suddenly, you know, you are through. Uh, you've seen Anna Wallace, uh, Nightscape Images uh, from Australia and some other guys. And I thought, yeah, there just isn't enough. And then I thought, yeah, why not try to make something myself? I've never filmed anything or something, but the least I'm getting is that I have a sort of nice souvenir for myself if I go to a France trip or something right. uh, again. So I just started about three months ago and... Um, I think oh, I'm now recent. at uh, almost 20, 20 videos. Uh, so, and, and, and there are some people uh, who even seem to like it. So, <laughs> yeah, great. Well, everybody, say thanks to Jeroen joining us on the podcast and just go to his YouTube channel and hit subscribe. Hit subscribe, say thanks, and follow him. When he gets his next 20 videos out in the next three months, we'll be all there and we'll be able to see what he's going through. And maybe, maybe one of these days you'll have a nighttime camera going and be filming live and then suddenly a rustling in the bushes behind you and you'll find another wild boar. And this time you'll be ready for it. I mean, I probably couldn't actually kill the boar, otherwise you'd be in trouble, I imagine. Yeah, well, you shouldn't do it. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> just leave him be. <laughs> <laughs> so in this situation, this world of astrophotography, this world of I'm bored, I want to hear more, I want to see more photographers out there going on adventures. When you think about, ah, I have now learned that Milky Way photography exists. I've got the gear. I've got this location that I'm liking, but it's not quite Portal 1 or 2. Um, when you think about your next like most important items on your bucket list, what are two at least of them? Oh, that's a very good question. Number I one, think... come to Utah and join me, and we're going to go out and go places that you've never seen a Milky Way so clear before in your life. That's number one. But then what's two and uh -huh. three? <laughs> you mean gear-wise specifically? No, no, anything bucket list. Like, I want to go here and capture this. I want to do this, whatever. Is there anything that just jumps out like, I must do this before I die? 
Oh yeah, definitely. I really want to see a, a Bortle One or Two Sky, for example. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, we have some various plans. But yeah, I would really like to go a bit further also with some uh, H Alpha uh, RGB imaging. You know, oh, really? uh, especially uh, when you are in the Netherlands with a lot of light pollution, you don't get that much H Alpha detail, even with an Astro modified camera. But if you blend it with an H Alpha uh, filter in your camera, I yeah, you really get to uh, pop those nebulas, you know, mm -hmm. and yes. I am really looking to, yeah, to, uh, to get better at that. Fantastic. I'm thinking about our star color test that we were doing, yeah. and I was thinking about all those different stars, and I was telling Jeroen this today, and I'll just tell everyone who's following, one of the study, one of the controlled tests that I'm going to do going forward is I'm going to look in the night sky, at least northern hemisphere, I'm going to find the brightest magnitude star of red, brightest magnitude star of a nice yellow, brightest magnitude star of a good kind of orange, and then a good blue, and then a good white. I'm going to find all these brighter magnitude stars, and I'm going to go in and do these tests of a long exposure, long exposure to six minutes, high ISO after 5,000, high ISO after 6,400, high ISO after 8,000, you know, that kind of a test to see when does the color wane. And after I do that on my wide lens, I'll try a 50 millimeter lens, I'll try different things where I'm focused in and what changes. Just tracker, what changes with a tracked shot versus a high ISO stationary shot. I'm going to have a lot of fun doing that. I even have a red cat lens that Paolo hooked me up with that I'll be using to do this test as well where you're really tight, really nice and tight on the star that is the color red or blue or whatever. Alberio, I'm hoping to capture it with the red cat where you can see the separation between the yellow and the blue star right next to each other and just to show off how these colors can go away with the higher ISO and using my camera being a 5D Mark IV that test will be interesting plus I'll have an Astro modified camera that I'll borrow from from Clarence Spencer so it'll be a fun test to see you know how the performance goes and what to think about and what the negative is of dealing with a stationary camera versus a tracker and how you can make things go so much better how it looks so much better when you capture with even the tiniest amount of detail like star color in mind. Don't take those out of your image if you can avoid it. So when you're thinking your buddy, Jeroen, your buddy's there with you on the first night of Milky Way photography and you're giving him advice and you're like favorite must do advice for an astrophotographer, what stands out to you? Check your focus and make sure your histogram is somewhere at least at one third. Because if you look at the dark yes. at your LCD screen, I've noticed a lot of first timers think, oh, this looks really good. And I say, yeah, wait until you uh, put those in Lightroom at, at home. It will look a lot of, a lot darker than now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also check check focus because yeah, that's so difficult for the for the first time. It but really yeah, is. If you really pay pay uh, pay attention to that focus, you are uh, going to be really happy with it. If you load your stuff into Lightroom <laughs> later, <laughs> yeah, and you might even do what Jeroen does with his lens, where he goes down to f four if he has to. And if you have a star tracker, you can push beyond what you really need to. And if you have to, yeah. cut back on the light bucket that you have and tighten those corners. So Jeroen, thank you so much for joining me and finishing out this episode with me on the podcast. You guys follow Jeroen Linen Comp. Go to his. Instagram. Instagram, instagram.com forward slash J-E-R-O-E-N-L-I-N. And you can follow his photography, see his beautiful, beautiful windmill shot. Hey, do you think it'd be cool if I use that for the cover of this podcast? Would you be all right with me borrowing that image and putting a giant photo credit for Jeroen Linenkamp? 
Yeah, sure. Great. My uh, my pleasure. Will be an honor. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. The uh, photo credit. I always include a website or their Instagram. Do you have a website that we can go to to follow you? Uh, no, not not yet. I'm not a professional yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll put your Instagram down below there, as well as go to his YouTube channel right now, Starscaper. Uh, look him up. You'll see his 20 videos. And what would be the best video that they should start with to watch from you? I think you should watch my uh, trip to France, the uh, okay. 20, 20 hours astrophotography marathon, it's called. <laughs> and that's the one where you're up on the bridge that has the abandoned bridge and the holes that you're dodging? Is that the same trip? Um, no, but that was actually oh. before I started filming. But we go to another uh, location, which is also pretty cool. And we have a good adventure there. <laughs> okay, 20 or twenty hour uh, marathon, Milky Way marathon. I'm going to look up yes. for that video. I'm going to watch that myself tomorrow. Jeroen, thanks again. Thank you, everybody. I hope everybody is feeling it. Like the winter's here, but we're going to do a winter Milky Way challenge and you're going to come out with us we're going to capture that panorama of the winter milky way panorama so i hope you get out there and have an adventure of your own thank you everybody Jeroen, thanks so much say goodbye to everybody and we'll see you all next week bye, -bye. thanks my pleasure awesome see you guys see ya <laughs>